Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This week on Crypto Unstacked, we chat with Sushin, founder of SparkPool, the world's largest Ethereum mining pool. Sheen talks about the origin story that led him to founding SparkPool in late 2016. He shares his thoughts on the major differences between the GPU and ASIC mining industries, why GPU hardware offers a more diversified revenue stream beyond mining itself, and how Ethereum's impending switch to proof-of-stake may impact the business model of large-scale GPU miners. I really learned a lot during my conversation with Sheen. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Sushin. Crypto Unstacked. Welcome. Thanks for joining me on the pod. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to cover a lot of things about Ethereum mining today, but as always, would love it if you could share more about your background with our listeners who don't already know you and talk about your path to running the now largest Ethereum mining pool. Sure. Um, I was originally born and raised in China, Hangzhou, and uh, I went to school in States with a bachelor's degree of computer science and engineering. When I first uh, uh, started mining, I think it was back in 20, 2012, when I was in sophomore year, I ran into this Bitcoin idea and uh, tried to set, set up the, my own rig to mine some Bitcoin. At that moment, I don't have much understanding of what's going on behind Bitcoin, which is blockchain now. And at that moment, I just want to have fun with this uh, so-called crypto or internet currency. And uh, after some trying and some setup, I have uh, started mining at the moment. And uh, I quit, I think, about, about uh, half a year later, because uh, due to the homework in college, I don't have time to, to do that anymore. Um, then I just back to the normal life of most students. I finished my degree and I went back to China and uh, started my career in venture capital. Um, then I again met blockchain technology back in uh, 2016 or 15. After I graduated, I went to the venture capital fund and worked as a uh, investment uh, portfolio manager. And I, I met a project called I'm Token. And at the moment, it was only four people with a team, and I decided to invest. And after 
And the, before the investment, I did a lot of research on what they're doing. They're trying to make the first ever Ethereum mobile wallet. And I tried to research about what's Ethereum and uh, uh, what's going on lately in the blockchain technology, which amazed me that uh, this technology after the Bitcoin have developed so much. That's also the time I think I just spend more time in this area. And uh, then uh, besides my daytime job, in the my part time, I start I started to work for Eastmans, which was a, a, a Ethereum a developer community in China. I tried to translate a lot of uh, English materials into Chinese so that a more Chinese developer can understand what's going on in Ethereum. That was back in twenty fifteen, and uh, I started to research more about Ethereum blockchain, and uh, eventually got me into the space after. That's pretty much when I start to uh, do the works about Ethereum and uh, now the smart pool. You had mentioned your early experience with mining. And so what was your, your dorm setup like, actually? I'm, I'm very curious. It's a uh, single. Essentially, I don't have a roommate. That's why I can actually set up stuff <laughs> uh, with my own interests. Essentially, besides my bed, it's, uh, it's assembled of uh, three different... Uh, Rigs at that moment there there were no ASICs and it's all GPU miners. Essentially, it's just three giant uh, uh, computers and a lot of cables connect them to the to the power and it's messy but it's making Bitcoin, <laughs> so it was fun. Even though it's making a lot of it was making a lot of noise, but luckily I don't have a roommate so that no one really knows. <laughs> and uh, eventually, actually, I moved out of the dorm because I need to set up more rigs. And uh, I rent a, I rent a small apartment in the downtown of my college, and uh, try to have a larger scale of the mining business. But uh, I dropped, like I mentioned, uh, about half a year straight. And at that moment, Bitcoin mining is not really making that much profit. <laughs> that right. uh, could actually convince me to to drop out of college just to do it. So I actually went back <laughs> to normal life after half a year. Got it. Yeah, you, you went from free electricity on campus to needing to pay for electricity at your new rented apartment, right? Yeah, actually, the apartment was all inclusive, so you don't you still need to pay. That's why the reason I rented. <laughs> oh, okay, that's smart. You have more space and still free electricity. Yeah, because no one really understands that there is such business you can just waste a cost all the electricity in your apartment, and it really didn't really alarm my landlord to recognize I'm doing something weird in the door, in the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job for recognizing that opportunity. Definitely would have uh, wished I'd done that as well. In 2015, you said, right, you had started to participate more in the Ethereum community in China. So you had moved back from the U.S. where you studied, now back to Hangzhou, right, where yes. you grew up in. And so during this time, you also joined this movement, I guess I could call it that, called ETH Fans. Could you talk to us a bit more about how this community grew from perhaps just a few people, I imagine, to now being a more recognized community bootstrapping the Ethereum ecosystem in China? Sure. Um, ETH Fans was originated in Hangzhou as well. It was, uh, it was not really a formal organization until Ethereum went big. 
it was only assembled of I think uh, uh, five or eight people. Uh, most of them are still in the space, like Jian 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 Xie Xie Han Jian from uh, Nervous, and like uh, Ben um, He Bing from I'm Token, and Daniel now is the CEO of Nervous as well, and also my partner Xiao Ping. Uh, now is a partner of uh, Sparkle. Essentially, they are they were friends. I was I joined later after they initiated the the, the organization. They they were friends. They are they are interested in the blockchain technology, and Ethereum was uh, kind of uh, interesting at that moment. And they all have faith in this programmable, or we say, besides Bitcoin, the the other platform or application of blockchain. And uh, they initiated the organization, had a web page and a forum online, and uh, had more people come to meet up offline. And I was part-time uh, doing some work for them as well, just for fun, for me to better understanding what's going, what's going on in the area and uh, to meet more people interested in the area. I was working in the uh, venture capital and uh, tried to explore this new new area and uh, meet more potential investment portfolio opportunities. I think after I joined, I tried to make the platform more accessible for commoners with no background uh, uh, knowledge. And uh, I tried to, with my own, um, what to say, effort to translate more materials and more late news um, for the Chinese community. It was actually working perfectly that a lot of college students, uh, coders are interested and they join the talks, they come to the, they came to the meetups and uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of them at that moment who joined are now still in this area. And uh, of course, after the blockchain boom in the 2017 and 18, a lot of new, new people joined and a lot of them also left in the late 2018 or 2019. But those people who joined earlier with Eastbands are still around. That was that was amazing. Yeah, it seems like there's a solid foundation that was built from Eastbands, given that those guys are now all founders, right, of projects that are are growing and continuing to scale, which is sparkle. Indeed. And and Nervos, as you mentioned, and and I am token, you know, the world's largest ETH mobile wallet, mm-hmm. all notable projects now. But before talking about uh, Sparkpool more in depth, I wanted to bring up something that we talked about while preparing for this interview, which was what really got you seriously involved in mining Ethereum. And that was a hacking incident at the 2016 DEF CON 2 event in Shanghai. Can you tell us what happened there? During the DEFCON to Shanghai, the Ethereum Foundation wanted to host this event in China. Eastbands, as of the few Chinese-based Ethereum community, we, we, tried, we tried to help. That's when I essentially got involved with the Ethereum Foundation and tried to help them set up a lot of stuff in, in Shanghai in China. And during the DEFCON 2, there was an accident called uh, Shanghai attack. Essentially, what happened is uh, hackers, they used some flaw in the Ethereum design to send a lot of transactions to, to jam the blockchain of Ethereum. At that moment, Ethereum mining, or we, call, we say Ethereum mining pool, are not all very professional. And a lot of them are part-time projects, uh, side projects of a lot of people. So that when this accident happened, it's very hard 
to actually to have everyone work together to solve this infrastructure level problem. Even though the developers are all together in Shanghai, but to have everyone, all the mining pool together, upgrade their protocol or the nodes, it's very hard. That's why I recognize that if Ethereum goes bigger, the infrastructure level service should be more professional. And that's when we start to think about maybe we should run a more professional mining service in China, as a lot of miners are actually from China. And also at that time, there were only maybe one mining pool in China. We thought maybe we should just give them another alternative instead of one, so that when attacks happens, if the other mining pool cannot behave properly, we can still help. There's still other options. And uh, we, we did this as a side, side project in the whole year of 2017 and grow from ground zero to about 5 to 8% of the network cost rate. Then we recognized that uh, also at that moment, uh, the Ethereum or the blockchain technology was booming and a lot of people are joining mining and the, the, the industry. And in the early 2018, we decided to go commercial. We started a uh, technical team to support the whole infrastructure and make it more professional. And uh, gradually it becomes uh, the largest Ethereum mining pool so far, with about 30% of the network hash rate. That's pretty much how we started and uh, how we started. Yeah, that's, that's very impressive. And how quickly did you see miners switch from using the existing and only mining pool to Sparkpool? Um, it's not that fast, to be honest. The whole year of 2017 and the whole year of 2018, we see the transition people are moving from other mining pool to our pool. Essentially, the reason is we pay more to them. As we start from zero, we don't have much experience about uh, DDoS protection and all the technical details. We also uh, grow a lot gradually with all the attacks and client supporting. So it's not like we started Sparkpool and it suddenly becomes the largest Ethereum mining pool. It's not the largest until I think mid mid 2019 so we, we build a lot of trust i think that's very important in our business we build a lot of trust with our clients so that they trust you they know you will not do wrongful and uh, they decide to delegate their competition power or hash rate to a money and they trust you and that's also why we have been the largest for the last maybe a half year or more absolutely well said trust is the core of really any service is an ethos that was carried over from the way that the ETH fans community built mm -hmm. up. It was to reach out to you know folks who didn't even know anything about crypto or Ethereum, what what this thing is, and through education, you were able to reach a lot more people, and and that's why I think a lot of people trust you guys now, uh, which is a good story there. It's now 2020 and you guys are still alive, right? And not a lot of projects can say that. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's important. Also, I think most people know we are not here to totally just to make profit. They know we care about the Ethereum community. We care about the technology. We, we want to protect the, the blockchain of Ethereum. I think that's essentially the the position a mining pool or a node runner is supposed to be, and that matches our impression for our customers. I totally agree with you there. So now I want to step back and just talk about the GPU origin story as it relates to crypto mining. 
you know, there's a lot of attention that gets put on Bitcoin ASIC mining, but I don't think enough time is spent on spotlighting GPU-based mining, which is actually how Bitcoin was predominantly mined before ASICs, as, as we know of today, right, with the manufacturers like Bitmain and What's Miner in a silicon, et cetera, when, when these guys took over. Before that, you know, the story was really focused on GPU and perhaps even CPU before that. So could you first start by defining what GPU is and then walk us through the transition period between GPU and ASIC-based mining as you remember it? How to define GPU? GPU is a <laughs> graphic processing unit. <laughs> so essentially, GPU was not designed for mining, right? It was designed for graphic processing. Essentially, crypto mining is about hushing, and it actually matches the GPU's uh, perspective. It, so it's behaving better than CPUs. That's how it actually took over the CPU mining. In my opinion, GPU mining is more mature. ASIC mining is more focused on mining itself. By more mature, I mean GPU is not only produced for mining. It's also manufactured for gaming, AI computation, machine learning, scientific computation, all different areas or technologies. Well, ASIC is maximize its uh, efficiency. It's designed and manufactured only for one purpose. It's mining. ASIC mining people will throw money into research, manufacturing, so that more powerful, more efficient ASICs will be produced so that uh, it could actually update the old technology or old ASICs. You see in the past years how Bitcoin ASICs are evolving or growing in the technical space. But well, GPU is not only designed for mining, so it's not growing or that fast, or it's not replacing the old equipment that fast. Essentially, if you bought a GPU four years ago or five years ago, if you keep it clean and uh, uh, make, make it run safely, it might be still profitable right now. Compared to ASICs, uh, five years before its model will definitely be dropped out. The, the life cycle of ASIC miners seem to be much, much shorter than these GPU mining equipment that you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm, definitely. What does the GPU supply chain look like then? It has to be much different than the ASIC supply chain. Yeah, of course. Um, with GPU mining, people bought the GPUs usually from the market or from di directly from the manufacturer. Uh, by manufacturer, I'm not talking about uh, uh, NVIDIA or AMD. It's more about uh, ASUS or Safari or uh, Inno 3D or those uh, GPU manufacturers. They are not only providing um, products to the miners, they are also pro uh, providing or selling their products to the data centers or gamers, all different areas. While uh, compared to ASICs, uh, now I think ASICs are mostly uh, produced by specific uh, Bitcoin mining um, companies and uh, only selling to the, to the miners. In my opinion, GPU supply chain is more sophisticated, it's more comprehensive, and also it's less affected by the cryptocurrency or blockchain industry itself. Right, right. For GPU miners, they can use the technology to maximize efficiency, right? It's not always relying on the latest equipment, as you mentioned earlier, 
there's less competition with the uh, actual manufacturers, but more just competition with the next miner who might have more knowledge than yourself to better upgrade the hardware for greater efficiency. Is that kind of how you see it as well? Yeah, sure. I think uh, different from ASICs, uh, GPU chip manufacturers, NVIDIA or AMD, they are not designing the GPU uh, only for mining. So they need to do a lot of balance. Even though the technology itself is definitely advancing to the next level, but it's not totally for mining. So that uh, from the mining perspective, the newest equipment, of course, it comes with better hushing power, but back to the price and the uh, the other perspective, it does not necessarily mean it's more efficient. So that GPU miners, besides buying the new equipment, they need to think about more about which equipment or which model is more efficient in terms of mining or profiting. And also they, they will spend more time on picking the, the, the rig so that it's more efficient. Right, right. And could you give us a visualization on what a GPU mining center looks like? It depends, it really depends. For totally mining focused uh, GPU computation center or data center, it's just similar to the Bitcoin data center or mining farm. Even though GPU rigs uh, cost less uh, energy and it's larger in terms of its shape, uh, but it looks the same. Got it, so a data center with large, I guess, computers, and different types of servers and cards, which the ASIC miners obviously don't have, right? Yeah, ASIC is uh, relatively small compared to GPU rigs. GPU rigs usually comes with eight or even 10 GPU cards. And uh, in, term of, in terms of its shape, it's uh, way larger than, than ASICs. It's more like a, a common computer, but larger. And so right now your facilities are all based in Hangzhou, is that correct? Uh, no, Hangzhou is our research center. Uh, the, space, uh, the, the data center are mostly located in, in cheap electricity, uh, electricity areas, just like basic mining farms. So there's that cost of energy procurement, which is a large part of the input cost. So just like basic mining, and there's the hardware uh, that is a large part of the CapEx, except that for GPU mining, it seems like the barrier to entry is a bit higher than for ASIC mining, given all the features about GPU mining that you mentioned earlier. I think that from the barrier perspective, GPU mining is uh, harder in terms of its uh, operation. ASIC rigs are designed for mining, simple, and uh, essentially just plugging the power, plugging the Ethernet cable, it works. Don't need a lot of setup. GPU is not designed for mining. So to maximize its efficiency, you need to do a lot of setup in terms of uh, software or in terms of operating systems. So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.io. Now I want to talk about how running a mining pool is different than being a miner. This is something that we also discussed earlier. How do pools and individual miners strategize 
differently when it comes to building out mining infrastructure? It's more like uh, for miner, it's simple. Essentially, you invest in mining and then you want to maximize your profit. And uh, to be a mining pool, essentially, you are uh, collecting resource from the miner, essentially the hashing power, and uh, produce profit for them. By producing them, I mean generating blocks for the blockchain. So mining pool essentially is uh, between miners and blockchain. Its profit also comes from the difference. And uh, to be a miner, I said it's simple. You just need to maximize your efficiency so that uh, uh, then you need to, by maximize your efficiency, I mean maximize your local competition power efficiency, also choosing the mining pool smartly so that uh, in a unit of uh, competition, you get more pay or you get more cryptocurrency. But for mining pool, it's more about how to use those uh, existing hashing power to generate more blocks and uh, maximize the profit from the blockchain. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's different uh, from the perspective of miner. To maximize the profit of a mining pool or the hashing power, it's about how to uh, connect to the blockchain more smoothly, how to, how to generate the block more quickly, how to packs, uh, pack more, uh, more profiting transactions. So it's more about uh, your understanding about blockchain, how blockchain works, how, how the P2P network works. It's more technical in terms of uh, networking and the blockchain understanding. Compared to the miner, you only need to care about the hardware, how to operate them more efficiently. And what are some risks associated with operating an Ethereum money pool? You had mentioned there were a few, including, for example, the DAG file increasing or announcements more broadly from the GPU industry. Can you talk a bit about those? I think the risk you mentioned uh, is more about the miner side. Uh, they need to worry about those stuff. But for Ethereum mining pool, it's, uh, it's rather simple, but also complicated. Ethereum itself is different from Bitcoin. You see Ethereum is upgrading fast. It's, uh, every year it's, there is a new upgrade. And you need to catch up with the technology, uh, catch up with Ethereum. What's Ethereum mining next step? What's Ethereum next step? What they want to do? What, what's the new uh, structure for the blockchain? So that you can understand the blockchain better and uh, maximize the profit. Also, to run Ethereum mining pool, as Ethereum uh, is a smart contract and platform, you also need to try to understand what people are using Ethereum for. That's how you capture the maximized uh, uh, profit from transactions. You want to understand why people are using Ethereum, uh, what kind of behavior they are having on the blockchain. That's also why usually we have higher transaction fees compared to other money, because we try to understand what people are using Ethereum for. That makes much more sense now. So, so thanks for clarifying that. You know, a lot of miners talk about March market sell-off and the financial services industry, of course, is always interested in understanding how that has affected the mining community as more and more players come in in the ecosystem. And of course, the more sophisticated ones will be perhaps less affected by an event like that than the miners who have leaner operations, perhaps less cash on the balance sheet, perhaps were more levered, for example. Now I want to bring this into the Spark Pool domain and ask you whether you were affected by the mid-March crypto market sell-off. Relatively speaking, in terms of uh, Ether income, we are not affected at all because uh, 
even though the Myanmar capital market had a cliff, but the mining continues. And as a mining pool, your your income comes from the blockchain, not not the trading market whatsoever. So as the mining continues, you still make the profit from the mining uh, business. But of course, in terms of absolute uh, uh, fiat value, we have less income. But uh, from Sparkle perspective, our income is relatively stable uh, in terms of ether income. The mining pool service never sleeps, right? It's 24-7, 365. <laughs> Indeed. Otherwise, you are not reliable. And topic that is increasingly being discussed, so kind of extending our, our topic on the, on the financial services side of things, is the increasing connection between the financial services ecosystem and the mining ecosystem. We have seen a ton of financing activity, you know, structured product activity for miners' needs, such as hedging, and we're seeing miners take on leverage positions for additional speculation. So, so these are some features that at least we've seen on the financial services side. What is your take on the need for financial services as an Ethereum miner, let's say? Not necessarily a mining pool, but as a miner. I think the need is definitely growing. I, I see mining industry itself is, uh, the trend is more about from uh, individual miners to mining corps or mining companies. You, you see the scale of mining becomes larger and larger. I think that fits the nature of efficiency. Essentially, to be more efficient, you want to be more, you, in, in terms of scale, you want to be larger so that your average marginal cost should be lower. So with a larger scale of investment, people tend to be more risk averse. Uh, in the old time, I think, uh, I think a lot of individual miners are mining for, I don't know, 10x profit in return in big because they don't invest much. But in terms of uh, large scale miners, they want to be less risky and uh, they take a lot of uh, financial service to take leverage and also to maintain their risk, risk level to be uh, reasonable so that their scale won't be affected by the crypto cliff or whatever. And then for GPU miners, I think you've also mentioned before that it's not only about scaling the infrastructure when it comes to expanding the operation, but it's also how else you can make money using the same equipment, right? Besides mining, because GPU cards are so widely used in other markets as well, it seems like you have more avenues of revenue than an ASIC miner, for example. So could you talk a bit about that? Because I found that to be very fascinating. I think that's a trend for GPU mining industry as well. Um, as I think people know that Ethereum is going from POW to POS, a lot of GPU miners will be wondering what, what they could do next. And uh, I mentioned before, GPU is not designed for mining. It has more capability in other areas such as color computing for, for AI or for machine learning or scientific computation. Essentially, if the miner or the mining company is uh, technical enough, they will see more opportunity in other areas than mining. Uh, mining will be a, what to say, safe base for those business. Essentially, if they, they are able technically or they are able to make more profit from other competition service such as rendering or AI competition, they should. Um, you should actually move some of your GPU competition power to other areas if it's more profitable. 
And if you cannot find anything like that, you just keep mining. I think that's a business model a lot of large-scale GPU miners are turning to. And they are trying to be more sophisticated. First, to, to avert the risk of Ethereum turning to POS. Also, to recycle the GPU value after there's no scale mining opportunities. And for Sparkpool, you've been operating for a little bit over two years now. What's on the horizon for you guys? Uh, let's just say six months out from now, perhaps even one year. A lot can happen within that time period, as we know. So what are some cool projects that you guys are thinking about? For Sparkpool, as we, we, we do have our own mining infrastructures, um, Ethereum is turning to POS. We are trying to, like I mentioned, expand our business into other GPU competition-related areas. And before, before the Ethereum turns to POS, we are also launching a very interesting project to, to help Ethereum industry or finan uh, the financial agencies to, to hedge the risk of uh, Ether. Essentially, we try to sell kind of uh, old school uh, mining contracts as a, as a product so that a lot of financial service provider in crypto area could actually buy the product to hedge some risk of Ether. And uh, for the blockchain part, we are still actively doing research to solve the fundamental problem of uh, blockchain infrastructure, the transaction and the, the blocks propagation problems. That's some layer zero uh, problem people need to solve, no matter what kind of blockchain, no matter POW or POS. And also for Ethereum, as it's turning to uh, 2.0, the POS network, we're also expanding our research department so that we can provide the proof-of-stake service for Ethereum and other POS blockchains. Got it. Yeah, lots of initiatives then for the next coming months as, as the Ethereum community is now on edge for the final coming of this 2.0, which I think everyone's been eager to see happen for quite a while. So yeah, I imagine you guys will be playing a huge part in, again, continuing to grow the community and also on the research side as well. So we'll be looking out for that. Now I want to move on to the part of our conversation where our listeners can get to know you, Sushin, a bit more. What important truth about the crypto space or mining do you believe in that few might agree with you on? I, I recognize that people have a lot of debate on ASICs or GPUs. I think a lot of people don't really understand GPU mining, but uh, GPU mining is safe only if you are the largest GPU mining blockchain existing. So for the rest of the GPU uh, POW blockchains, they are not safe in terms of net network security. So that I think actually ASIC is the safe, safest uh, uh, solution for POW mining. Um, and I'd like to end our time together with a round of rapid fire mining edition. Are you ready for a few questions? Yeah. All right. So we'll start easy for you. Ethereum, bullish or bearish? Of course, bullish. ETH 2.0 and the switch from proof of work to proof of stake. Bullish or bearish? Um, bullish and exciting. What is a myth about GPU-based mining that you'd like to debunk for us on the show? I think that now GPU mining is not for individual miners anymore. It's more about uh, large um, corps and uh, they are not even in the blockchain industry. They are manufacturers. What is the development within the mining industry that has surprised you over this past year? Um, I think it's more about uh, how the 
the government is uh, changing their perspective to see mining from a risk-taking industry to now a, a new solution to to use up the wasted energy. Yeah, it seems like the Chinese government since I think it was October of last year kind of flipped the switch. No, it's continuous. <laughs> it's continuously changing their perspective and it's all moving from uh, not positive to positive now. Yeah. <laughs> And, and hopefully it stays that way, right? And of it course. doesn't flip back to being negative again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what excites you going forward about the crypto mining industry or for Spark Pool more specifically? I think it's more about uh, the, the industry is growing more sophisticated, more good players coming and the people are actually making most of the, the hardware and most of the technology to be the most efficient. Right. Well, Sushin, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you bringing in the Asia minor perspective. Really, I'm just grateful that you can join us from China. And we hope that you come on the Crypto and Stack podcast again. Sure, you're welcome. And uh, looking forward to the next time. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Do engage with us through social media, I'll provide details in the show notes, and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambo. that's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care, and see you at our next episode.